0: Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. Well, all right. Happy New Year to everybody. Thanks for joining the show today. hope everybody's had a fantastic New Year and has great plans for 2022. I know I do. Well, today I'm, I'm back to January 6th. I mean, this thing's just not going away. I think it's clear. And um, there's just a lot of craziness happening around this. Um, some of these clips I'm not even going to play because uh, Liz Cheney, people like Liz Cheney and Adam Schiff are just... The worst of the worst of the body politics. So, I don't even want to play their their clips. Uh, Adam Schiff is just a straight up liar. I mean, the guy he pretty much his stripes were on display during the whole Russia Gate thing. Um, but this January sixth thing is is not going away, and and I think I think this, and I think the censorship stuff that's happened, cancel culture. I think all these things are related. And I'm going to try to make a case for that. And I think it, it involves the lack of one party in this country to examine the details and the facts around certain things. So for example, January 6th is kind of a response to um, just all the stuff that happened to Trump while he was president. I think, you know, the Russia Gate, just the constant, I mean, these people, and I've said this before, but these people were basically robbed of their president. They, they, they elected a guy who never really got to do much of anything because he was just constantly being hounded by the media and by the uh, opposition party. And, you know, when you don't, the media, you know, when it doesn't, uh, you know, really examine certain things and just kind of says, you know, kind of writes it off as, wow, you know, that's a big nothing burger, you know, there's, that doesn't need to be examined or, you know, the election in 2020, when admittedly strange things happen, like, They stopped counting votes at midnight. Or just the complete lack of acknowledgement that Democratic Party attorneys were changing election laws all over the Midwest and uh, uh, battleground-type states. I mean, there's just no examination of those facts at all. It's just... It's just straight to all the stuff that happened on January 6th and the fact that Trump stood in front of the camera over and over again and, you know, asserted that the election was stolen. You know, all these things I think build, um, build up pressure for people because then they feel like that they're not being represented, you know, that, that their voice is not being heard. And so, I'm going to try to tie this January 6th together with some of the censorship and cancel culture. There's, there's literally um, a group of people, uh, I would say media and Democratic Party-type people, that are aligned against other groups of people in America. And this is causing a lot of problems. And, um, you know, they just... They still haven't figured out that this is the problem. There's no introspection whatsoever um, within the media or the Democratic Party. And it just keeps building, and they keep doing the same thing. So let's dive right into these clips and see where the conversation takes us.
1: Fiona Hill, assess, assess America as if we were looking at another country. How weak is our democracy right now?
2: Well, I think the points that we just heard uh, Bart make uh, are very important. Um, If we were looking at other authoritarian regimes, and I'm seeing, like I'm saying, other authoritarian regimes um, around the world, because what Bart is describing here is the hallmark of an authoritarian regime. Uh, the, the uh, ability to remove people who stand in the way uh, from uh, you know basically uh, the point of view of uh, maintaining uh, the democratic institutions, uh, the ease in which uh, that is possible to get rid of any opposition both within the system and also within uh, the political party apparatus as well. Uh, these again are hallmarks of things that we've seen historically. And uh, also internationally, you know if we take, for example uh, Russia, the you know the area that I am mm-hmm. most uh, obviously familiar with my area of expertise, and you see what Vladimir Putin has done systematically over the last twenty one years to reduce the opposition putting opposition figures in uh, uh, jail is obviously the most extreme version, but marginalising them, as Barton's describing you know uh, and, and some of the things that he just said there, you basically marginalise people, you make them irrelevant, you push them to the edges of the polity you remove the checks and balances in the legal system. You basically have a compliant legislature, and this is really key. I think that point that uh, Barton said, we have to you know, really bear in mind in what you just said, Chuck, about the uh, House uh, and both the Senate being in Republican hands, uh, those loyal uh, to Trump, that is, I mean, not Republicans who uh, want to actually maintain the infrastructure of uh, democracy here that will be really critical because when you have a compliant legislature and you have an executive that uh, holds all of the the power in its uh, its possession that's when you're really in trouble
0: i think it's amusing that these people sound so serious because they're you know they're they're complaining about what trump is doing right but their lack of self-awareness really is staggering because This lady is some sort of Russian expert, right? And she's talking about um, how in Russia they put opposition figures in jail. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, you mean like on January 6th, all these 700 people they rounded up and, and threw them in jail, and some of them are still there without bail or without any kind of hearing or anything for essentially trespassing, maybe some of the most egregious crimes might be damaging property or something. But, you know, she gives this example of Russia and just just is totally unaware of the fact that we just did that here in this country. Or she brings up um, the marginalizing people. Oh, you mean like cancel culture? You know, like we don't like something that somebody says and we just cancel them. Uh, That's our that's kind of our form of censorship is just remove them from the medium uh, that was providing them whatever microphone they had. And then, and then she talks about a compliant legislature. I'm, th- I'm thinking, well, she's talking about right now, I guess, you know, because we have a – she's talking about the executive being lined up with the legislature and having a compliant legislature – And to me, she's just describing what we have now and and how um, they're trying to ram stuff through. And you'll hear Peter Meyer talk about this in in a little while. But um, I don't know, the whole removal of democratic institutions that she talks about, uh, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, you mean like running into battleground states and changing the election laws within the courts? You mean like that? So, I mean... It's it's interesting how they complain that, about this stuff about Trump, but, but then they're really just, it's like they're talking about themselves.
1: Fiona Hill, you testified in the first impeachment against Donald Trump. There was an attempt at a second one, both failed. Um, how are those going to look in five years?
2: Well, if you mean from the point of view of historians, I think people will look back at this whole period uh, that we're describing here and see that this was a major tipping point in uh, United States politics, a tipping point in pushing us in a direction that I think most people would not have envisaged if we look back, you know, kind of perhaps uh, to 2010, for example. I think we've got a long tail of events here, uh, as Bart is describing. We've had, you know, the Great Recession, the financial crisis, you know, tipping an awful lot of people into uh, a, a kind of financial crisis. Some of Robert pape's uh, work at the University of Chicago also looked at uh, the backgrounds of uh, some of the insurrectionists financially, and some of them had taken a hit uh, in the Great Recession. Then there's that demographic tipping point uh, that he was describing there, and then there's the political tipping point. All of these are sort of fitting together. And when you look at other countries that have gone into civil war, all kinds of civil crisis and political crisis, you see the same hallmark. And you also see... Um, a lot of people standing around basically saying, look, that couldn't possibly happen here. Yeah. And that's the problem that we face right now, a year on, is that some people still cannot grasp the peril that we're in and the risk that we have to our democracy looking forward.
0: I think there's quite a few people that see this tipping point that she's talking about. I think the problem is they just see it differently. Um, they see, uh, well, let me just talk about me. Um You know, libertarians in general see government as the problem, power as the problem, and the lack of liberty. You know, she brings up uh, the Great Recession and the financial crisis. Well, look at what the government response was to those (laughs) things. I mean, there was a lot of people sitting around, uh, like me, saying, "No, we shouldn't bail out the banks, and we we should we should let you know the economy restructure." We shouldn't just layer on more debt. Some of these people are cronies, and they need to go out of business, and let uh, people who aren't cronies, who aren't going to use the government, uh, get in there and 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 provide real quality services for consumers. I mean, have we forgotten about you know the the Occupy Wall Street movement? I mean, that was that was primarily liberals. Uh, but they were more or less ignored. I mean, they just, <laughs> you know, the political class just ignored those people and did what they wanted to do. And so, you know, again, you have this repeated: uh, these people pretend to uh, represent certain groups of people, but then they, when when faced with um, a decision, a tough decision. They make the wrong decision every time or they make the decision in favor of the political class or the elites and this is uh, this is a pivotal part of this angst that these people are talking about so I think they're just completely misreading the tea leaves on this deal and and that's why um, that's why they can't seem to fix the problem is, is they they don't they don't understand the problem:
1: um, take a step back. I think you were among quite a few Republicans in the month of January, right after January 6th, who really thought, in the words of Lindsey Graham, enough is enough. I'm out of here, right? I'm I'm done with this. The party's going to move on. Trump's going to be left behind.
3: Boy, did that not happen. Why do you think that didn't happen? There was no alternative. There was no other path. And given how President Biden, um, when he was elected into office, you know, said he would be moderate and look for bipartisan solutions. But then after, uh, and frankly, I, I blame the former president for this, after we lost the two Senate seats in Georgia and the Senate flipped, uh, it became uh, an exercise in trying to be an LBJ or FDR style presidency and enact transformational change in the absence of any compelling mandate from the American people to do so. So that gave the rallying signal, uh, that created uh, a very steep divide and at the end of the day, uh, there's no other option right now in the Republican Party. And I, I, that's a, a sad test.
0: I don't know a lot about this guy, Peter Meyer, but uh, he seems to be pretty sharp um, and seems to understand at least better than Chuck Todd does. And I think he's right. I think the Democrats, especially after that senatorial uh, win in Georgia, you know, smelled blood in the water and they went for broke. In fact, I, you know, some people even speculate that that uh, they feel like they're going to lose, you know, a huge number of seats in both the House and the Senate in the midterm elections, and so they wanted to go ahead and make all these changes before that happens. I mean, it, it's almost by design that they went all in without this mandate that Peter Meyer is talking about. So, yeah, so they just keep picking at this scab. And then they wonder, you know, why, um, you know, something like January 6th happened, which really was nothing, right? It's, It's a riot, a few people got out of hand. I mean, one of the things I'd like to know is how many FBI agents were there. I mean, clearly, there's, there's, I think there's enough evidence now to suggest that there were some people, some informants, maybe not FBI agents, but FBI informants, that were there, you know, agitating and, 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 and actually getting into the Capitol themselves. So there's a lot here, and I think these guys just don't, they're just not asking the right questions.
1: Well, I will, I, why is it on President Biden that the Republican Party can't seem to kick their Trump habit? I mean, why isn't it on Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, and yourself?
3: Well, we have a two-party system. And in the best case scenario, each party challenges the other to do better, to be better, to have a scenario where iron sharpens iron. Instead, if you have one party plumbing the depths and the other just uses that an excuse to go further, uh, to go more to an extreme, to go more uh, away from any sort of governing consensus and towards trying to enact uh, whatever the will of the most extreme constituency they have is, You know that is a recipe for both parties to drive further away from anything that resembles serving the american people as a whole look i get our inability
1: to sort of meet in the middle here but do you accept what you heard in the last panel there from particularly from fiona hill that this is not this is not a political argument you got you got one party that's being led by trump here that seems to be trying to delegitimize our democracy does that concern you does that do you share that uh
3: fear and view I do. Uh, But I also see another party that's trying to delegitimize our democracy in far less dramatic ways, Uh, at least, you know, not guys with Viking hats, you know, bare chested running into the Capitol, but calling for packing the Supreme Court, calling for abolishing the Senate and frankly doing the same thing, the same justifications that I saw uh, from some members of my party after the riots last summer. They say, Well, why is it so bad that we stormed the Capitol? You know, they were the ones burning down these cities, the sense of riot envy. Now we have this delegitimizing envy, mm. where again, it is creating a reciprocal reaction. I think this is all incredibly dangerous. I think the threat of violence is probably more pronounced on the right today, but that does not mean the left is not capable as
0: well. Yeah, you know, uh, Chuck Todd doesn't like that answer. He, he thinks uh, the Democratic Party uh, is the party of saints. And that they haven't done anything wrong here but uh, but Peter Meyer here is absolutely correct you 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 can't have this kind of slim margin that they have and then just go completely turn you know the United States into Venezuela i mean that's ridiculous and and expect people not to you know fight back and and um, resist that
1: can the Republican party survive? Uh, Donald Trump becoming the nominee one more time?
3: Well, if by survive, you mean win elections, um, I think they can. Uh, If by survive, you mean offering a cohesive governing ideology, some modicum of alliance to principles, I think that's something that's going to be a larger project.
0: Here he makes another great point. I've said this before, but um, he basically says, you know, yes, you know, Republicans can win elections. Um, but if we're going to have Donald Trump as president, uh, you know, he basically is saying that Donald Trump is not a principled person and really probably, this is me putting words in his mouth now, but probably doesn't really understand fully how the government works and, and, you know, really believes that if he just says something, you know, there's an army of people that will just, you know, go do what he says and and that, of course that's not how it works you have to you have to convince people of your ideas and and then also you have to have people on your team that share your vision and of course Trump I don't know why but he went out and got you know a bunch of neocons and uh, warmongers and you know uh deep state people on his team which just you know demonstrates Peter Meyer's point that he doesn't really know what he's doing. Now, now that doesn't mean he's, you know, wasn't effective in, you know, uncovering a bunch of corruption and 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 you know media bias and all the stuff that happened during his presidency. But it, it does mean that he's not going to be able to get a lot done without a lot more knowledge about how government works and specifically how this government works and who the right players are so that he can find the right ones that share his vision. Now I want to jump to uh, Face the Nation because they have a guy on um, that is from the University of Chicago that was contracted by the government, I suppose, to study um, the participants of the January 6th riot and try to find some similarities, some motivations, and things of that nature. So let's uh, Switch over to that conversation.
4: We want to take a closer look now at the 725 people who've been charged for their roles in the attack on the Capitol. Who are these individuals and what can we learn from their backgrounds that can help us understand the political violence that we saw that day on January 6th? Joining us now is Professor Robert Pape of the University of Chicago. Uh, Professor I know you've studied insurgencies and war zones. You're working with the Pentagon now. I mean, you're looking at what is happening in the United States. And one of the things that was chilling to me was that you found the majority of those who attacked were not affiliated with any organized militia. They were everyday people.
5: Uh, exactly right Margaret what we're seeing is a movement that is a mainstream movement not simply confined to fringe elements And this is important because we're so used to thinking of right-wing extremism or really extremism in general as part of the fringe. They're just a tiny fraction of America, less than 1%, and they come from um, people that are economically destitute, many often unemployed. Well, that's not what our studies of the January 6th, those who broke into the Capitol on January 6th show, or our studies of the insurrectionist sentiments in the country.
0: I would love to know how much this how much money this guy made because you know if you just watch the videos from January 6th what you see is you see a bunch of you know gray-haired white people many of them you know a little bit overweight I mean these are not you know hardened terrorists and I I just I mean somebody owes some of these people an apology because literally for months for the whole year they've they've deemed these people white supremacists and so on and so forth i think some of them are you know it looks like some of them are lawyers and doctors and some of them own businesses some of them work in businesses at very high levels i mean these so the the point here though is not to really pick out all these people but the point is it's mainstream, right? And so for a, a solid year, the Democratic Party has been calling a huge group of mainstream voters terrorist and white supremacists. And I think this is going to be a big, big problem for the Democratic Party um, come 2022 and maybe even beyond. I, I, they may have alienated people to the point where nobody can vote for them. Uh, you know for the next 20 years or something
4: and what you found is that some of these people were were business owners they were employed these were people who had something to lose they were putting things at risk when they went to Washington and carried out this violence
5: absolutely very striking finding is their economic profile Over half of the 700 who broke into the Capitol, who have been arrested so far for breaking into the Capitol, are business owners, CEOs, uh, from white-collar occupations, doctors, lawyers, architects, and accountants. Only 7% were unemployed at the time of their January 6th insurrection, uh, nearly the national average. This is very different than we're used to seeing from uh, right-wing extremists, um, where typically 25%, 30% of right-wing violent offenders are unemployed and virtually none are CEOs or business owners.
0: So I think this is really interesting. And, and I think it's one of the most interesting things about it is it's, it's really what happens when you don't, you know, deal in reality. And I think, I, you know, I, I've been thinking this for some time that there are groups of people in this country that see completely different realities than what exists i mean all this white supremacy stuff is a great example or racism and i mean i i you know i live in a uh, an area that has a, uh, probably one of the most culturally diverse country uh, in the whole places in the whole country uh houston and there are tons of different people we have indians we have asians we have you know chinese people we have japanese people we have blacks we have hispanics from all over different places of in central and south america and mexico and places like i mean this is a huge diverse place and i don't see anything like what these people are talking about in terms of racism or white supremacy the other thing to note about this commentary is, you know, she makes a comment or he makes a comment that uh, these people had something at risk. Well, isn't that the kind of people that we want voting in America? I mean, if you show me, and I don't, and I don't have anything against any of these groups I'm going to mention, but if you show me fifty homeless people, and then you show me fifty people who have careers, own property you know, have something to lose, I, I would I would be more inclined to align myself with the people that have something to lose than people that don't have anything to lose. I, I just think that's a, a better way to govern society. Now, that doesn't mean we kick the people that don't have anything to lose to the curb. But it what it does mean is, you know, I don't want people that don't have anything or don't have anything to lose to vote my liberty away from me or my property away from me. And I'm sure these doctors and lawyers and whoever else else was there, they feel the same way. And what reasonable person wouldn't feel that way?
5: Further, if we look at uh, their relationship to the militia groups, um, so only 13% of those who broke into the Capitol on January 6th, were members of militia groups like the Oath Keepers or extremist groups like the Proud Boys. Uh, that means not nearly 90% were not.
0: Yeah, that's right. 90% were just regular Americans, uh, thinking that they had a voice and that they could exercise that voice in the nation's capital. Boy, were they wrong. They didn't realize who they were dealing with. That wasn't the people's house. That was the house of all the professional criminals and cronies that govern our society. And to use a page out of uh, Fiona Hill's playbook, we got to marginalize these people. We got to throw them in jail. We got to isolate them. We got to them, have them lose their jobs. Uh, we got to teach them a lesson. Yeah, just like Putin would do. So yeah, you know, if you look at this from just a slightly different perspective, you know, this whole deal looks quite a bit different.
4: So if these people believe in what they were doing, who are they getting their information from? How could they truly uh, put everything on the line and carry out this violence? Like who is telling them what to do?
5: Well, we can see their media consumption from uh, surveys that we've done after our studies of who broke into the Capitol. We find that fully 21 million people believe two radical beliefs in America today. One, that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president and two, that the use of force to restore Donald Trump to the presidency is justified. And their media sources of those 21 million, uh, they come from 42%. Of the 21 million, their main media source is Fox News, Newsmax, One America, that is mainstream conservative news. Their second most prominent news source uh, is actually liberal and centrist media like CNN, NPR, CBS. And you might say, well, how could that be? It's because often when people watch uh, ideas they disagree with, that makes them angry. Only 10% of the 21 million are getting their news mainly from right-wing social media like Gab or Telegram.
0: You know, what I've found is that most people that are pretty smart have a pretty good BS detector. And the bottom line is these 21 million people they're talking about, they smell a rat in all this, I'm sure. And if they... They don't want to be propagandized all day, okay? So they want to go find somebody who's talking about um, information in a different way. The other thing that's important to point out here is that, you know, this is the government researching 21 million Americans. And it almost reads like an intelligence report, like you would hear, you know, maybe the president would hear about Al-Qaeda or something in the Middle East, So this is very concerning uh, to me, and it should be to all Americans, that the government's spending resources, you know, looking into this kind of stuff.
4: President Biden has said that that he believes racism uh, was a key part of the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. Have you seen anything that bears that out to be true?
5: Uh, Race is an element, and race is a driver. So when we look at the counties that the 700 who broke into the Capitol came from, where they live, what we see is um, over half live in counties, the Joe Biden one. Uh, they don't mainly come from the reddest parts of America. They're coming from San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York
0: City, Philadelphia, Houston, and Dallas. So how come Joe Biden can say, I believe race is a factor but then Trump can't say, I believe that the election was stolen. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy when you think about it. But the thing to point out here about this comment is, is man, these people, they know where you live. I mean, they've studied this down and determined where people live. And what's interesting is they live in places that are primarily Democratic. Well, maybe the fact that, I mean, what this tells me is this tells me there's going to be some sort of alignment with people moving from one place to another, because if they can't escape uh, the craziness that's, that's in these blue cities, which is what this sounds like. This is what the evidence the guy's basically presenting is you got, you know, uh, some Republican type people surrounded by a bunch of, you know, Democrat people and it's, it's making them crazy enough that they want to go march on the Capitol. So what does all this mean? What do we have to be concerned about? Well, I think what we have to be concerned about is our political process devolving into you know show trials, which we saw plenty of that under Donald Trump. We saw two impeachments. We saw uh, a special prosecutor... We saw a lot of people lie to Congress and get away with it. Uh, Getting back to the special prosecutor, we saw a guy who clearly didn't have anything, spent almost two years, or maybe it was more than two years, investigating nothing. And this makes people very uneasy, and it should. It should, and I'll tell you why, is because... Government is the opposite of liberty. And liberty is what people want. Freedom is what people want. I think in the trailer for this podcast, I said, look, the, the, the biggest struggle, the struggle of history is a struggle between liberty and tyranny. Those that want to be free... And those that want to rule over those that want to be free. And make no mistake, these people up there in Washington, D.C., they want to rule over you. And it's not even enough to rule over you and have the satisfaction of them being in leadership. They want to rule over you and control you, which obviously is not liberty. So I had a whole other segment that I wanted to talk about where I was going to tie these things together, this January 6th uh, event and the and the left's response to it with a talk that uh, Glenn Greenwald gave about uh, independent journalism. And I think these things are linked because, uh, and I'm, I'm going to try to make the case uh, on the next show when I play these clips, but what what's happening, the reason people are getting quote-unquote violent is, I think, one of the big reasons, one of the big factors is this speech control, this um, this uh, kicking people off platforms, um, canceling people, cancel culture in general. Because if people can't express their ideas, and if they're not able to uh, communicate those ideas to a group and banter back and forth about what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's false. what what ends up happening is people do tend to resort to violence because there's no outlet for that for that communication. And so in the next show I'm going to play some clips from Green, uh, Glenn Greenwald uh, on a talk he gave and I think it was really good. most people haven't heard it, so I think uh, I think this will be interesting to you. In the meantime, thanks for coming in. Thanks for listening. Um, if you like the show, share it, uh, with a friend or a neighbor, uh, somebody you you like, or like I said, even somebody you don't like. Um, I am trying to build an audience here. I'm I'm trying to provide good analysis and and content. Hopefully you agree. If you do, then maybe you can pop online somewhere and write me a review, but, um, you know, who gets to decide is all about liberty. That's really the key. Because if you get to decide every decision for your life, then, you're, then you have a lot of liberty. But if other people are making decisions for you or telling you what to do or giving you mandates, this, that, and the other thing, you're not free in America.